So I knew from a very young age that my menstrual cycle was sacred, but there was so many times when the shame from the outer world kept creeping in, you know, of my friends being like, how come you didn't go home? Or like the feeling that I should be hiding my blood. Prophecies have foretold, and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hi, my friends. Welcome back to another episode. This is Lauren here. It is so fun to talk to you. Shayna and I, we love you. And we are so excited that you're still tuning in for season two. And we have heard from so many of you the impact that this podcast has had on your life. And we receive that deeply. We're so grateful that you like to have the conversations that we like to have and you're interested in this type of work, this deprogramming, this deconditioning, and this reclaiming of who we are as women and who we are as feminine beings in a time when our medicine as the feminine is really needed. It is the ingredient that our world needs, and that is why this is the time of the feminine. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a part of this community. And if you are someone who's been listening in, but you haven't introduced yourself or said hi, I want to encourage you to say hey to us. We have an opportunity for you to join a virtual circle that's donation-based every new moon. And you can come say hi, peek in, see what we're about, circle with us. And it just so happens that this upcoming new moon, I am co-facilitating a circle with our guest today, Usha Anandi. Shana and I loved interviewing Usha Anandi. She's someone we have a lot of respect for and her work at Woman Wellness is awesome. One of the things that has been missing in the collective for thousands of years, as we all know, is the respect and the reverence and even the scientific study of the wholeness of a woman, our menstruation, our our emotional tides, our hormones. And she's a holistic nutritionist, childbirth educator, a devoted mother, an herbalist, a doula, and she's committed to changing the status quo by alchemizing modern scientific information with ancient energetic practices to serve the wholeness of a woman. She has trained thousands of women around the world and is known for sharing life-changing teachings in a clear, accessible, and compassionate way. And I can say this is very true. So without further ado, get prepared for a very rich, deep, informative conversation. Welcome, Usha. 
Thank you so much for having me. So grateful to be here with both of you. So I want to know about your journey. How did you get here and end up in womb land? <laughs> That's a great question. And I'll just start by saying that I never intended to be here. So mm -hmm. I didn't come into this world with the knowledge of the work I was going to do. Actually, I was a total musical theater nerd and really into speech and debate. And I was like, I've always been a nerd at heart. And, but I wanted to be a professional singer. Like I love Beyonce. I love the Dixie chicks. I was like, that's my path for sure. And what really started me down the path of noticing my womb and just recognizing how disconnected womb health and our understanding of the womb is from the rest of our body in our current medical structure was when I was 15 and I went on the pill. And so I was on the pill for five years. And that journey of, you know, being told by my mother, who's a nurse practitioner and multiple doctors that this was the only way to prevent pregnancy and also to, you know, get rid of my acne. And I was also told it would make my boobs grow, which is something I think every teenage girl is like, okay, I'm in for that. And that it would make my PMS better and my painful periods better. And it really didn't. So after five years on the pill, I found myself with cystic acne. I found myself just pretty dysregulated and disconnected from my body, disconnected from my menstrual cycle. And that really started me down this path of inquiring. You know, I think I went to six or seven different providers looking for answers of something doesn't feel right. I've been on this pill for years and none of them, you know, had answers for me. And so I took my journey into my own hands and really started with the intention of healing myself, not to share this work at all with other people, but healing myself. And so I think one of my teachers says that our shadow brings us to our dharma, which is like our purpose. And that is definitely my experience of once I leaned into these areas that I needed to heal, kind of the jungle parted for me and I was shown my path. I love that about life. That's probably the thing I trust most in life is that with every hardship, there is a gem to be cultivated mm -hmm. and excavated. And your story is very beautiful. And the way you speak is also really beautiful. I'm just admiring you in this moment. Mm -hmm. And I am also thinking of your mother. Tell mm -hmm. me about how your relationship with your mother has shifted since you've kind of jumped off the deep end into womb witchery. I really started this path, as I said, for myself. And part of my journey was moving outside of the U.S. for four and a half, almost five years. And in that time, I really, I really let go of my family and speaking to them very often. And they came, they would come to visit me sometimes. Yet I was just on the journey to heal myself and fully focused on finding out who am I? Who am I outside of my family home? Who am I outside of the influence of my parents, of the dynamics there? And through healing my own womb, I found that there's been a lot of reclamation through my mother's womb as well. And there's been moments of deep surrender because as a 
person, you know, and I really felt this throughout my pregnancy with my daughter as well. I'm so privileged to have the resources and the tools and the time and the education to do the healing that I have done with myself. And I am perhaps one of the first people in my lineage to have the time and the resources to do that. And sometimes when we are that first person who's stopping the cycle, there can be a lot of pressure. It's like holding the weight of the world on our shoulders. So I have felt that at times. And yet I've noticed through my own womb reclamation journey, my relationship with my mother has healed so much. And, you know, growing up, I'm a Leo. My mom's a Virgo, so we do things very differently. And so growing up, we were often like this, butting heads. And yet through my journey of healing my womb and even more so in giving birth to my daughter and becoming a, a mother myself and recognizing how much it takes to show up so full-heartedly, so much has healed between us. Thank you so much for sharing that, Usha. It's something that touches me very deeply because I also feel within myself that that spirit to go away, you know, mm -hmm. and to go explore and your, your adventure on different land and really getting to feel yourself as an individual, as a human being, as a daughter of this earth, and then to heal from there. And then the ripple effects that creates through your lineage. And so I honor you deeply for that because mm -hmm. I see you in that. Mm, thank you. And I'm curious about where your travels took you and what it inspired as you embarked on this journey of self-discovery. Mm, yes. Uh, first, just thank you for your response. And I think that, you know, there's a thread here that I just want to name, which is that what arises in our body and in our womb isn't just ours it's likely an imprint from our mother's womb and from our grandmother's womb. And so we are that continuation of the lineage. And I think that's something that I know I didn't recognize until I started my womb journey and certainly wasn't shared with me by my elders. And so for those listening who have womb challenges, you know, and we'll get more into that and all these different things, just asking yourself the question of, who before me has felt this way? And that's a question that I use that really opened up deep ancestral healing. And yeah, my journeys took me a lot of places. I lived in the jungle of Costa Rica for off and on for like four years. And in that time would go to Mexico to study with one of my teachers and also to India, to the foothills of the Himalayas to study with another teacher and, you know, in between that would come back to the state. So I was super privileged to have that opportunity to live a life, you know, that was connected to so many people and yet was very nomadic. And I learned so much from those lands and from my teachers there. And yet I really felt the call in these last two years to start putting down roots and Iron or not ironically, but synchronistically, when at two months after I did that, I conceived my daughter. So there was this call of, you've got to stop moving around, you know, because 
traveling is tiring. It's a lot on our bodies and a lot on our hormones and our circadian rhythm. And so it's been really nice as well to build a relationship with the land here where I am and to just stay put and be in the different seasons and the different cycles where I am now, which is in Oregon. Wow, you said so many things there that I want to respond to. And so we can we can kind of go as it flows. So I'm curious about like the cycles and living in tune with the land and tuning into our bodies. And I guess this ties back into what you were saying at the beginning of answering that question was what we can feel within our own lineage in our bodies. And so what is that process for those of us that want to sink deeper into the land that we're on and tune into the cycles that we have within ourselves? Mm, Love that question. So, you know, I think about the name of this podcast, Time of the Feminine. And when I hear that, for me, so many different things come up. But for me, my journey of reclaiming the feminine has been so much reclaiming the sacredness of my own body and reclaiming the seasons and the cycles that exist within me. And I grew up Catholic. Irish Catholic, and one of the main messages that I received through going to church so often was that all of nature was created for me, that all of nature was created for man, and that humans were at, are at the top of the hierarchy. So that kind of created this idea in my body and this feeling of that I must be separate from nature then. If nature was created for me, then I must be separate from it. And I think if you look around at the way that humans are treating nature and the way that we are treating the earth, we do see ourselves as separate. We do not make the connection that whatever we do to her is also done to ourselves. So when I get hundreds of messages every week of women who haven't had regular menstrual cycles or women who have been on the pill for 10, 15, 20 years, I look out at the forests and I see them decimated without trees. I look at the oceans and see them full of plastic. And to me, it's one and the same because whatever we do to the earth is being done to our own bodies as well. So for me, reclaiming the feminine really centers around the reclamation of our menstrual cycle, which is the microcosmic experience of the seasons, the four distinct seasons that exist within us and also exist outside of us. So just like Mother Earth paints different colors in winter and spring and summer and fall, we too experience distinct energy shifts throughout one lunar month. And those energetic shifts mark the four distinct phases of our menstrual cycle. Thank you for sharing that. I want to go into the phases. I want you mm. to explain to those women who aren't aware and perhaps you know, your own way of what the seasons are like and how we could feel in our own bodies when we're connecting to that. Yeah, great. So I'll just, I'll start with a little story. And it's a story of when I was 14. I was a freshman in high school and I had a really big debate. We were like, debating about Fukushima and the use of nuclear warfare. And I was so excited. I had prepared my case, you know, to talk about how we should not use nuclear nuclear 
warfare, all of those things. And so I was so excited and I go up to stand at the podium and I'm representing half of the class, you know, like it's a big deal. And I go up to stand at the podium and my friend goes, look, like I I stood up from my desk and she's like, look, and I look back at my desk seat and it's just covered in blood and it's like covered in like, you know, like just all these different shapes of blood. Like I had been just sitting on blood and wiping it on my seat for a while And this was, so I had a choice, like, what do I do now? Do I just stand up and give the speech like everyone is waiting for me to do, you know, or do I run away in shame and go to the bathroom and, you know, go home and change my pants? And so I don't know what came over me, but I stood up and I did that damn speech. I did the whole speech with like a a blood stain, probably the size of like a duck egg on my pants. And my friend was such an amazing friend. Her name was Maddie and she covered it with my jacket. And then the rest of the day at school, I had another choice. Do I go home in shame or do I just wrap my, my sweatshirt around my pants? And that's what I did. And so I knew from a very young age that my menstrual cycle was sacred, but there was so many times when the shame from the outer world kept creeping in, you know, of my friends being like, how come you didn't go home? Or like the feeling that I should be hiding my blood or all of the different girls, you know, who slipped tampons up their sleeves or put them in their pants. And so For so many of us, before we go into the phases, right, before we go into the energetics of the menstrual cycle, I just really invite you, if you're listening, to think about your own relationship with your cycle, your first menstrual cycle, and how your menstrual cycle was treated in school by your family. Because before we can feel the intricacies of our cycle, we really first have to address the shame. Because shame keeps us frozen and it keeps us from connecting fully with our bodies. So before we like talk about the nuances, and there are many, and we'll get into that. First, I just want to name the shame that so many of us carry around our cycles. And if you're listening and you have stories similar to mine, or you still hide a tampon, you know, in your purse or your jacket pocket before going to the bathroom on your period at work or in school, there are thousands of other women who share that with you. And so for me, the four phases in living according to our cycle, that is the reclamation of the sacred, the melting of the shame. Because if now we can plan our lives according to our cycle, then that means that we are embodying the sacredness of our cycle. So do you want me to get into the four seasons now? Yeah, I first want to respond and like applaud you, applaud your how old, 13-year-old, 12-year-old self. 14. Like, wow, I feel like that story is a story I wish I knew growing up. You know, Mm. it's one of those stories that brings empowerment and... Yeah, I I grew up with a shame story because my mother thought she was dying when she got her moon cycle. She had no idea that it was a thing and just thought she was dying. And so for me, I had a slightly less intense version of that, but still, you know, somewhere on that spectrum of like, wow, I feel shameful about this experience. And so hearing your story, it like lights up something in me. 
to be proud and to mm-hmm. also just like this is a universal female experience. Mm-hmm. And it also brings to mind in India how the girls stop going to school mm-hmm. because of that shame, because of the also the cultural norms and how it's like not acceptable for girls to go to school. Yes, and also period poverty, you know, the the reality of not having menstrual products to use. Right. And so soiling through clothes, you know, and the reality of that not everyone in the world has access to menstrual pads and tampons and moon cups, you know. Mm-hmm. So for some of us, we're exploring the subtleties of like, oh, what menstrual product should I use that feels best in my womb? And then for others, they don't even have access to menstrual products as well. Right. And they have to, a lot of countries, they have to stop going to school, which is, yeah. Yeah. So now let's get into the the phases, the seasons and the nuances yes. of that. Yeah. So As I mentioned, just as Mother Earth experiences seasons, we too experience the same seasons within us. So I'll start um, with the first season that I always teach about, which is the follicular phase. And I'll talk about the scientific name because I'm all about science and the sacred. But then I'll also give the, the sacred, the energetic, the season name, which is what I like to go by anyway. But for those of us who have a more sciencey background or for people who want to like do Google research, you know, after this and learn more about the phases, that's more what you would type into Google or look up in one of your books to learn more about this distinct phase of the menstrual cycle. So we'll start with the follicular phase and it's called inner spring. And I call it inner spring because that's when this freshness comes over our body and the follicular phase or inner spring begins once the blood of your menstrual cycle stops. So you've stopped bleeding now, you don't have your period anymore. And then You wake up the next morning, you know, and you're not using any tampons, you're not using any pads, whatever you use to stop the blood if you have access to that. And you may start to feel this fresh energy wash over you. Now, hormonally in this time, we have the rise in estrogen and also the rise in follicle stimulating hormones. So if you look at the scientific name follicular phase, you get an idea as to what purpose this phase has in our menstrual cycle and that's to start stimulating our follicles to produce so the follicles start to mature about 19 or 20 begin the journey of maturation stimulated by the rise in estrogen and the rise in fsh follicle stimulating hormone and what that does energetically in our body how we can feel it is this fresh energy so it's like okay, I'm out of my moon time. Now my skin is likely more clear. I'm likely noticing some more desire to engage outwardly with the world, you know, call friends. And I also can use the clarity of this phase to plan my life. So this is a time if you want to live according to your cycle that I really recommend getting out your monthly calendar and planning. Plan your commitments, plan your, you know, work engagements, plan your podcasts like this, plan, you know, when you will meet with friends, trips, travels, use the fresh energy of this phase and harness it to work with you. 
And this is also a time when we can really start to clean our houses, clean our homes, clear stagnant energy that may be in the space from that deep rest of our menstrual cycle. So that's the follicular phase, that's inner spring. And I think of like spring here in Oregon after a long rainy gray, sometimes snowy winter is just teeming with life. We're just coming out of spring here and you walk outside, you can smell the life that's pushing up out of the darkness of the soil. And that's what we feel in the springtime in our bodies of like, okay, let's do this. You know, moving into a new calendar, moving into a new month with that freshness, that clarity, that aliveness. So that's the follicular phase in your spring. And then we cycle into the next cycle or the next phase, excuse me, which is inner summer or known as the ovulatory phase. So in the follicular phase, our body is really putting all of its energy into ovulation. And now in the ovulatory phase, we get to experience that ovulation, which is our most fertile time. This is the peak of fertility in our cycle. And you think about it, like inner summer, you think about the fertility of summer and all of the plants and the starts that we've planted in spring are now bearing fruits and giving us, you know, an example and a felt sense of the fertility of the soil. And in our ovulatory phase, what's happening physiologically is one or two of those 19 or 20 follicles that were starting to mature will now reach maturity and maturation, and we call those dominant follicles. And what happens is that they'll rip away from the follicular head and they'll be sent down into the egg tubes, and then they'll await possible fertilization. So a lot of times we think about you know ovulation only when we want to conceive. And I just want to make it so clear for everyone listening that Ovulation and consistent ovulation is vital for your health, whether or not you want to conceive. Because the hormones that are linked to our ovulatory cycle actually do much more than just create fertility. They also nurture our bone health, our breast health, our cardiovascular health. And so that's the problem with a lot of um, approaches in our modern world today is that we think that these cycles exist in a vacuum that, Oh, we can suppress ovulation with the pill or with the IUD, which doesn't always suppress ovulation, but often does the hormonal IUD. We can suppress ovulation and it's fine. Nothing else will be impacted. And we know by looking at a more, you know, functional holistic integration of the body, that that's just not true that the health of our womb impacts the health of all other parts of our body. And that's something that I wish I knew when I was 15, sitting in my doctor's office, being prescribed the pill for the first time, that, oh, I actually would like to ovulate and that there are other ways to prevent pregnancy, but that consistent ovulation is important for my body and my long-term health, even though I don't want to get pregnant right now. So these first two phases are really outwardly focused. And if our body is reaching peak fertility 
in our ovulatory phase, then you better bet we're feeling it. And we're also sending out messages to people around us that we are in our peak fertile phase. So during our ovulatory phase, which is three to four days long, we actually send out different pheromones, which are released through our sweat, sweat glands to the people around us to let them know like, hey, I'm fertile, you know? And so you may notice, like for myself, I notice that my body odor changes so much when I'm ovulating and also the smell of my vagina changes a lot when I'm ovulating. And so this is really normal to have these changes in your scent based on your menstrual cycle. And it's actually a primal way that we're communicating to those in our environment where we are on our cycle and if we're fertile or not. So because we're so fertile this time, we also have this heightened energy. So this is estrogen's peak. And that means that we're really open to giving and receiving love. We may be really excited to go out dancing and that party or to, you know, get dressed up for no reason. We may want to call some of our friends and connect. So in these first two phases, inner spring and inner summer, follicular and ovulatory, we're really focused on outwardly connecting with the world. It's going out and engaging. And if you think, you know, biologically, the purpose of that, it's because we're going out to engage with the possibility of getting pregnant. Our body is focused biologically on continuing our species. But then as we change and start to cycle into the phase of inner autumn or inner fall, which is known as the luteal phase, we see that that energy starts to change from an outwardly focused energy to an inwardly focused one. So the luteal phase, what's happening in our body physiologically in this time is that estrogen starts to fall. And as estrogen falls, another hormone, sex hormone, starts to rise. And this hormone is called progesterone. And progesterone's purpose is to increase the lining of our uterus and maintain that lining. And so progesterone is a really important hormone if you want to get pregnant, especially because balanced progesterone levels will help maintain your uterine lining so that the egg can implant itself and get comfortable inside of your womb. So progesterone keeps our uterine lining really full and juicy. And this is why we may feel some heaviness in our womb during our luteal phase, which is our premenstrual phase, because our uterine lining is thick and is being nourished by lots of blood and nutrients. So as progesterone rises and estrogen falls, we start to feel a sense of reflection. And there's a lot of clarity that can come in this time. And oftentimes it's a, um, a fierceness, a ferocity that comes out in our premenstrual phase. And I really encourage all of us and this is a message for myself to a reminder for myself to embrace that ferocity because it's there for a reason. 
And if we think about, you know, the menstrual cycle in these four seasons, and we think about which ones are the most accepted in the world that we live in today, I would definitely say that it's our inner spring and inner summer where women are the most celebrated. You know, you're like in your maiden time, you're fresh, you're fertile, you want to connect with other people. Estrogen is also a mothering hormone. So it makes us want to keep people together and to care for them and engage with them. But then as estrogen falls, we start to become fierce and we don't take shit and we are honoring our truth. And that's not really an archetype of the feminine or a side of the feminine that I see a lot of women in my life embracing, nor are we embracing it as a culture at large. So I really encourage you to sit deeply and listen to that voice of anger or rage or grief or sadness that can come up in your premenstrual time. Because in this time, the veils start to part. The veils of estrogen start to pull back and we can see the emotions and the experiences that likely have been there the whole time, but we've just been bottling down. Now they're starting to come up because they need to be seen and heard and processed and digested. So there's a lot of medicine in our luteal phase, in our inner fall time, a looking back on the two cycles that came before and a clarity of looking ahead to our menstrual cycle and how we want to spend that time of deep rest. So this is a great time to look at your calendar and be honest with yourself about what you actually can do that's on your list. I find a lot of clarity and creativity in this time and I also feel this sense of like, I don't want to do any more work. Like I need to have some space for myself. And I often feel that even though there is a deep spiritual clarity, there's not a lot of desire to output or share outwardly in the world. So just noticing yourself and how inner fall luteal medicine comes out for you and just sitting with the mindset of maybe these emotions that come up aren't bad. Maybe these emotions are just part of my humanness. And maybe, just maybe if I have the space and the tools, I can sit with them and digest them and, and hold them. So that's the third phase of our cycle. And then we move into the fourth phase, which is inner winter or menstruation. And we talked about progesterone and its purpose of maintaining the uterine lining and how it continues to maintain the uterine lining if we're pregnant, right? When we're pregnant, we don't menstruate, although sometimes there is some implantation spotting and bleeding, but we're not seeing a fall in progesterone because it's keeping that lining strong so that the baby can implant and be held there in that space. But when we're menstruating, when we're not pregnant, what happens is that progesterone will fall. And the falling of progesterone, because its job is to maintain the uterine lining, triggers the release of the endometrium. And so the shedding, which is the release of blood that we see when our period comes. And this is a time, I think out of all four seasons, that is the most misunderstood. If we think about the women in our life you know, in our inner circle, ask yourself how many of them actually take the first few days of their period off to rest? How many of them even notice that their period is happening at all? 
other than the need to, you know, reach for a hot water bottle or maybe take an ibuprofen because of period pain. I remember when I, you know, used to struggle with painful periods, I was working two jobs. I think I was about like 17 and I was working two jobs. No, this must have been older. I think I was like 18. But anyway, I was a teenager and I was working two jobs in school and I was also in school and I would get my periods and they would be really painful, but I had to show up for two jobs. So I would take an ibuprofen and then go to the bathroom and I would pull out my tampon. And it was just this total disconnection from what was happening in my body at this time. I didn't know when my period came. I didn't know what moon cycle it came on. All I knew that it was here and that it was really annoying because I was in pain and I still had to show up for life. So one of the best ways, and if you hear nothing in this talk with us today, I hope that you hear only this. The best way to honor your cycle is to rest for the first two days at least of your menstrual cycle. Because that deep rest, which is exactly what your body is calling for at that time, inner winter, it's a time of darkness, a time of rest. That rest will set you up for success for the rest of the month that comes ahead. Because remember, it's a cycle. It's a circle, right? It just continues cycling on. So inner spring will come after, inner summer, fall, winter, and we start again. So for myself, I notice that when I don't rest on my period, I spend the next month trying to catch up on that rest that I missed during those first few vital days. And we're releasing a lot of blood and that's a lot of energy for our body. We need nourishment, we need rest. And for those of us who work full-time positions, you know, or are mothers and don't have that luxury of clearing our schedule, taking five to 10 minutes every hour or 90 minutes in accordance when you feel that dip of energy can do so much. And I will say that if you do not advocate for your rest, there is nobody else who will. So keeping that in mind as well. I was clapping. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. That was incredibly beautifully articulated. I appreciate the depth of your knowledge and embodiment. And I love hearing about the cycles. It's just so renewing and empowering. And every time I hear about it, I'm like, yes, this is the way. And mm -hmm. to be honest, it takes me hearing about the cycles in this particular way over and over and over again for me to go against the grain and actually honor myself. Mm. So thank you for preaching the feminine gospel. And I want to take this conversation into two different subjects that are perhaps correlated, that are more edgy. Mm -hmm. I would like to bring up the origins of gynecology and the patriarchal theft of midwifery and what that has done to our own empowerment as women around our cycles, around our bodies, and around birth. And I want to just ask for your perspective and your thoughts on that. And then I have another juicy, edgy question. Okay, great. Yes, I think that this is something that a lot of people don't know. And something that even, you know, because I am a, a birth worker and 
you know, something that midwives recognize and yet a lot of people don't understand. And I'll say that it's not only just patriarchy that's impacted our gynecological like practices, but it's also racism. And that a lot of the different procedures were developed through experimenting on Black enslaved women. Like if you look up the history of J. Marion Sims and his practices, you know, revered as a um, savior in modern medicine for developing these different procedures for women and finding that he only developed them because he experimented without anesthesia on Black enslaved women. And this is something that I find that not a lot of people, and I'm so glad that you asked this question because this is something that not a lot of people touch on and that in our mainstream understanding of gynecology and obstetrical practices, we also don't um, really talk about. So I'm curious if there's like a specific way that you want to go Um, Because there's so much that can be said. And I'm wondering if there's something that you want to talk about specifically here. I would love you to just educate us on what Mm -hmm. you know that you think is most important. And for what you just said feels shocking. I Mm -hmm. did not know that. Mm -hmm. And incredibly important. And so this is a free space for you to share what you think we most need to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So I think that my knowledge really of this history, and I'm always trying to learn more. And so I wouldn't call myself an expert in this realm. Like I am for sure so embodied in those cycles, you know, the four seasons. And yet in this realm, I'm always trying to learn more and do more research and dig in. So I'll share what I feel most educated about. And that's really the history of birth and how birth has changed just in the last 150 years. And we see that there's been a huge shift in power from midwives. And I also, you know, from my understanding of history, the women who actually continued the tradition of midwifery were Black midwives. And interestingly enough, in the U.S. now, I think it's 91% of home birth midwives are white. So there's a lot of patriarchy and racism and classism. All of it is linked in here together and weaved in and impacts it all. So, but when we look at birth, what we see is that, you know, in the last 150 years, there's been a huge shift from the hands of the midwives and birth being, you know, a main home event to being something that is highly medicalized, industrialized and attended by obstetrical practitioners. And this also started, I would say, even before the 1900s. Like, for example, there was a experience of Louis XIV who had a mistress named Madame de Montespan. I don't know how to say it. I really don't know how to pronounce it. I hope I'm doing justice to her name. And um, she was pregnant with his child, and he ordered you know, I don't know exactly how it went down, but this is how I've learned about it. He ordered that she give birth on a table, like a bed, and she was shrouded in black curtains and only opened 
enough so that he could see everything that was happening. So he sat on a chair, just like I'm sitting on a chair. And she was out in front of him lying on a table. And this started the trend of women giving birth on their backs. And if we look at the physiology of birth, we see that there's really no reason for a woman to be lying on her back in birth. And yes, you know, sometimes it can be helpful, but it's only helpful for the person attending the birth. So I want to make that clear because the uterus and I happen to have a uterus right here. So the uterus, um, or not a uterus, I have a pelvis. So you can imagine the uterus is in here and the baby's in there also. So the uterus contracts forward and then it contracts down. So there's this force pushing forward and down during every contraction. But if we're lying on our backs in birth, then we have this force of gravity that's coming down. And so the uterus is trying to lift up but it's pushing against gravity to do that. And it's trying to contract down. But again, gravity is moving this way. Whereas if a woman, you know, is in a squatting position or on her hands and knees or standing up or however she wants to be, because it's her birth. And if it's medically possible, she should be allowed to move around however she wishes, because intuitively she'll know what she needs. When the uterus can work with gravity, then also you get the weight of baby's head that will more easily open up the cervix as well. So this is just an example of how these changes have been made to the physiological process of birth that don't really make much sense. That someone did it one time, you know, 150, 200 years ago, and now we're still utilizing these practices in our hospitals, for example. I mean, how many Hollywood movies have you seen where the woman is being wheeled in on a wheelchair and she's like screaming in pain and then she looks so stressed out as she's lying on her back and is like screaming as she's giving birth, you know? That's the imprint of birth that so many of us have in our systems. And so there's just been a takeover of, you know, Um, Robert D. Lee in the 1920s, who was like a head of Northwestern University, he famously exclaimed that birth was a pathological process that endangered both mother and the child. And so it was really the burden of the medical providers to save them from this pathological process. And he was actually one of the major um, implementers of obstetrical practices. So he opted for use of forceps and also talked about cesarean. And really when cesarean um, sections were first introduced, they also included a hysterectomy afterwards. So it was like, get the baby out and then also take out the uterus. And I've been, you know, I've been to a lot of hospital births and I've been to a birth before where the doctor, you know, and I've checked with the mother, she's, she's let me share this a few times in trainings But the doctor leaned over. It was her fourth child. She had a C-section. And the doctor was like, do you want a hysterectomy? I can have your uterus out in 15 minutes. So there is a big disconnection between what mothers and babies actually need to honor the hormonal cocktail that's created in physiological birth 
to honor the bond, the vital bond for both mother and baby's mental, physical, emotional wellness for the rest of their lives. There's a big misunderstanding and a big uh, difference between what's offered to so many women in our medical system now and what is actually needed. You know, and I think, you know, just in closing, as a birth worker myself and just something that I track in our medical system in, in general and something that I invite all of us to, to feel into right now is this power dynamic that happens when we walk into a doctor's office or we even go to a midwife because midwives have it too. And this dynamic of, I need someone to save me. And when I was getting off the pill, that was really where I was trying to find a practitioner from of like something's happening in my body because I knew nothing about my body. That was terrifying. And so I needed to find someone who knew more about my body than I did to save me. And I'm not saying that, you know, medical interventions and amazing midwives and practitioners aren't needed and wanted, but I am just feeling into this and tracking this dynamic of someone will save us and someone knows more about this process than we do. So I hope that that, you know, dove a little bit into what you wanted to talk about there. There's, this could be like a three hour podcast just going through the timeline. Yeah. It's, it's, ugh, 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 ugh. It just like, it's one of those things that just like totally does something to my insides. And it's a story I've heard before. There was a guy who had some thing he wanted to do. In this case, I believe it was like a fetish. Like he, and it started this like weird fetish thing around birth. I've heard this story told in a different way. But also the fact that in a particular situation, one thing could happen, but then it ripples out and then becomes like this governing law of this is how it has to be done. Like you have to give birth mm. on your back in the hospital with anesthesia and how much power has been taken been taken away from the woman. And Lauren and I watched this movie together a couple years back about um, the witch burnings. And mm. they say in this movie how the tool – What's the gynecological tool that they use? The, the speculum. The speculum was a tool that they actually pops Yeah, that they actually used yeah, the speculum. to to torture women mm. during those times. And it's still the tool that is being used today. And I just find that disgusting and mm. mind boggling. Like it it is actually mind boggling that in this time, you know, the knowledge has been so lost that you have to come to you know, our obscure podcast, you know, on the fringes to hear about <laughs> things that are, are real. I, I just find it so interesting and in that you have to really go searching. You have to really go dig up this information to learn about, yeah, the history of these things. And so thank you so much mm -hmm. for sharing that. Mm -hmm. I also feel mindful of women hearing this information for the first time because I feel it in my own body. Mm -hmm. I was just wondering... Usha, if you could guide us now in an empowering reconnection and trust in our own body through your words, I think that would be really helpful. 
Yes, I love that, Lauren. Thanks. I also just want to speak to that idea that like the knowledge is lost. And I would almost say that it hasn't been because when we walk into our gynecologist's office, we often feel something, right? When we're laying down on the table and they're going to put the speculum in us, there's a felt sense in my body that I felt that like something isn't right. And so that feeling, you know, that we're going to speak to in a second so that we can orient and regulate that comes up in us as we talk about this history, as we talk about, you know, what has happened and what is still happening. There's a felt sense for some of us of grief or rage or shock. And that is the wisdom of our body telling us something about this is not right. And that when we listen to that and trust our bodies in that can open up whole worlds for us. So I just want to validate all of the emotions that might be coming up right now. If there is grief, if there is rage, shock, frozenness, whatever is there. Like if you have a flight response and you want to turn off this podcast right now, just welcoming all of that, welcoming all of that wisdom. And let's take a moment right now to just orient ourselves so that we can process all of these things that are coming up, which are signals from our body that this is, this is a lot. It's emotional, right? So you can put your feet on the earth. And I always invite feet to be at least hips width distance apart and then spread the toes of both left foot and right foot and our feet and our pelvic diaphragm are really connected so if we can't connect to the pelvic diaphragm we can always go to our feet first so softening through left pad of foot softening through right pad of foot softening through left arch through right arch left heel right heel and softening through both of the ankles Moving up to the knees, softening the inside of the knees. And then breathing into your pelvis. And noticing how far the breath goes. So as you inhale, do you feel the breath moving into your low belly, into your navel? And if not, that's okay. It's just information. There's no right or wrong. So we're just feeling. Feeling our body, feeling our pelvis, front of pelvis right side of pelvis, back of pelvis, left side of pelvis, and center of pelvis too. See if you can send the breath there. Softening through shoulders, elbows, wrists. Letting your head just find its comfortable place sitting on your neck. Bringing your left hand to your heart, right hand to your womb, if you feel like touching your body today. So sometimes we don't want to touch our bodies and that's okay. So remembering that whatever you want to do, that you know better than I do about what you need right now. Knowing you have full permission to listen to that. Let's take some deep breaths here all together in and out through the nose. Just noticing your breath and the tempo of your breath. 
Is there a desire to breathe fast? And if there is, just noticing that. Is your breath moving really slow, like it feels stuck in some way? And just noticing that. See if you can start to balance the breath, just breathing deeply, naturally, in and out. Tracking any emotions that are coming up or any feelings that need to be felt and knowing that you have time and space to just hold them. We'll be here for a few more rounds of breath. There is no intention other than to just feel all of your body right now. No intention other than to allow, if possible, whatever is arising to be met by your awareness and be met by your breath. A few more rounds of breath here. Eyes can be closed. If it helps you be more aware, you can also open your eyes. Let's take one deep inhale through the nose. As you exhale, open the mouth, audible sigh. (sighs) Two more times. So any sound you want to let go of here, this is the time as you exhale. (sighs) (sighs) Opening the eyes if they're closed. Spending a round of breath, just looking around the room where you are. If you're driving, just please keep looking at the road, but you can just notice what's going on in your environment. Notice the cars around you. And eyes and nervous system are so connected. So as we look around, it's our way of communicating to our brain. Here I am. I'm here in this room or in this car or in this bath, wherever you are. I'm right here in this now moment. And this is the, you know, I just shared that orienting practice because for me, what feels empowering is to know that I can be in my body right now and that I have the tools to regulate. So a lot of times we think of empowerment like, oh, like fill your womb with light, you know, and all these different awesome practices. And for me, what I notice is that just being in my body And just being in the now moment, that in itself is so healing. And that in itself is something that so many of us don't have the tools to do. Thank you, Usha. In this orientation process, I was appreciating the work that you do and and seeing the similar mission that we have here at Global Sisterhood. It's a very different subject matter but all the same. And I love how all of the listeners here in their own way, we're all working towards the same goal. And that's to, you know, heal the illusions and the programming of the past and step into the present moment here and now in this great time of the feminine awakening. And I want to say that, you know, we speak about hard subjects. We speak about patriarchy, racism, colonialism, oppression, abuse, 
And we don't do it in a way that we're blaming or we're, we might feel rage, might feel grief, but we're bringing back ownership into we have the power now. We're ending the victim perpetrator cycle. And I really love uh, your work specifically with empowering body wisdom to know our bodies and to how, how freeing that is when we can trust ourselves in our bodies. So I want to say thank you for that. And I want to ask now, because it's such an important subject that is up specifically in the United States around abortion. And then I know that you work a lot on speaking about how to prevent pregnancy and the a healthy way of doing that. And so I would love to ask you to share with our listeners about that. Mm, yes. Thank you for that question. So I've been sitting with this a lot and in the knowledge of what it takes to prevent pregnancy, I've just been sitting with this topic and I've seen a lot of educators speak out and I haven't because I've just been sitting with what I feel is true. And so, you know, and what I feel is true for me and, and my perspective on it and knowing that my perspective is just colored by a lot of different things, you know, being in Costa Rica, for example, where, um, abortion is illegal or was, I'm not sure if it is now, I believe it is, but it was at the time I was living there. And for people who have money, this was never an issue because they could fly to Miami and get an abortion there. And so for, for those with the funds, they, they were able to surpass that you know, law in their own country and go somewhere else. So I recognize that there's a lot of different layers to this. There's not just like black and white and, um, you know, these different like this is good and this is not. And so as I express, I, I just want to share my recognition that there is so much nuance to this conversation. So what I will say is first that access to abortion, I believe, is so important and vital. And that's for all of us just as a right. And that's just like what I believe. And so saying that and saying that, you know, it's so important for all of us to have the infrastructure and the laws in place that support us to make those decisions, because it's a really incredibly intense decision, I think. And each person processes it in a different way. Uh, but to not provide the most basic infrastructure and support to women, because like abortion being legal is just the very bare minimum of what women actually require, you know, who are walking through that journey. They require emotional support. A woman who has aborted her fetus in 10 weeks gestation or in you know a woman who has had a miscarriage or any kind of pregnancy loss or early birth they're in postpartum so they're having blood loss they're having hormonal changes and also a loss of you know 
grief and even sense of self that can come with any kind of pregnancy loss. So making abortion legal is really bare minimum, in my opinion. And also, there's so many ways to prevent pregnancy without involving institutions and without involving governments as well. And those ways can be non-hormonal. My favorite way is through fertility awareness method, which is the process of tracking your temperature, of tracking your cervical position, and of tracking your cervical mucus every single day and charting, literally writing down on a piece of paper, which is my favorite way. You can also download an app. My favorite way is um, using the app Kindara and tracking whether or not you're fertile. And we have a fertile window of about six days. And after we ovulate, if we ovulate, it happens once in a cycle. And even if we release two eggs, it'll happen within a 24-hour window of each other. So after that time has passed, and we can know that this time has passed because we're tracking these three different indicators of our fertility, we have no chance of getting pregnant. And so, you know, knowing that and how empowering that is to know that oh, I have the tools to prevent pregnancy myself without taking hormonal contraception and that I can live according to my cycle to prevent pregnancy is such an empowering way of centering our agency. Now, I will also say that the idea that fertility awareness is right for everyone is is an idea that I still sit with because I've met so many women who are in abusive relationships, women who are in patriarchal relationships where their husband has, you know, most of the power and there's misogyny there where he is able to ejaculate inside of her whenever he wants, because that's his right as a husband. I've met so many women where the pill is life-changing for them. And getting a hormonal IUD or copper IUD is absolutely, you know, life altering. So I do think that abortion access needs to be there. And I think that that's a nuance that I'm not seeing often, that it's like everyone should do fertility awareness method. But in order to do fertility awareness method, you know, one of the indicators is checking your cervical positioning. And so you reach a finger or two inside of your vagina and you check your cervix. And when you're fertile, it feels like lips and it's soft and receptive. And when you're not fertile, it feels like a hard tip of a nose. But that already of reaching your fingers inside of yourself is a huge step for so many women who are disconnected from their bodies or who have had sexual trauma in the past. So do I think that we could all get there? Yes. But for those of us who aren't there, because I wasn't there for a lot of my life, I do think that there needs to be abortion care and abortion access. And I say care and access because access to abortion is not abortion care. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I personally have not practiced that method, but I feel more inspired to to really like tune into my body in a deeper way. It feels like this like endless journey you can go on in terms of really attuning and learning from your body. 
And so thank you so much for sharing this wisdom. Thank you. And so for our final question. Yes. The question we ask each guest on our podcast. If the Divine Mother were to speak through you, what would she have you say? There's this feeling of just relax. You have everything you need. And I feel that in myself because on my healing journey, I really like sometimes put pressure to rush. Mm -hmm. And whenever I connect, because whenever I connect, like it's a lot of pressure to be the one to heal your lineage and your family. And so connecting with that energy brings me back to this feeling of it's all coming and it's all happening right now that you've done the work, you're doing the work. And so to relax into that current life, that's just carrying you exactly where you need to go. And so it is. Thank you so much, Usha, for being on the Time of the Feminine podcast. It's such an honor to have you here and to hear your wisdom and really this, this way of knowing yourself that is ready to be reclaimed. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast with Usha Anandi. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we highly encourage you to check out Usha's work. Go to Woman Wellness, spelled womb in W-O-M-B-E-N, wellness.com or follow her on Instagram at Woman Wellness. Her work is awesome and powerful. I highly suggest following her and learning with her. And if you'd like to dive deeper into our community at Global Sisterhood, join us in Virtual Circle every new moon. It's donation-based. You can go to our website, globalsisterhood.org, and sign up for the next one and come give it a taste. Be with us. Hear us. Let us hear you. Let us see you. Um, and let us get to know you. So we'd love to have you dive in deeper with us, sister. And for those of you who want to go even deeper, check out our facilitator training, Sacred Facilitator, which begins in August. All right, loves, big kiss to you. Talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Time and the Feminine podcast. It's so fun and such a privilege to have these conversations with these incredible guests. We ask that you follow them, support them, like their work, buy their books. And it's an even greater privilege and honor that you, sister, are listening. And so we want to give back to you. If this episode was meaningful, let us know by giving us a review and come join us in Circle. Every new moon, we have a donation-based circle. No woman is turned away. So come sit, show your face, listen, be a part of the community, and let us dive deeper and do this work together in action, in practice, together in sisterhood. And for those of you who are already holding space and want to dive deeper into this art, you are invited to take Sacred Facilitator or any of our facilitation programs that we have throughout the year. So go to globalsisterhood.org to learn more or follow us at the Global Sisterhood on Instagram. Episodes drop every single Thursday and we have some really beautiful episodes.
episodes in store. So until then, loves, much love and a big, big hug.